the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Okay, come with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1 to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 to 5. ESV version says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Let's read it together. Preach the word. Let's start it again. One go. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. For the time is coming when they will not, people will not endure sound teaching, but having eaten years, they will accumulate for themselves teacher to suit their own passions. Verse 4. He says, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. Verse 5. Let's read it together. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Somebody say, as for me, I'm sober-minded, I endure suffering, I do the work of an evangelist, I fulfill my ministry. I see grace come upon you to do that. This month you will fulfill your ministry. What kind of ministry is the scripture talking about here? That ministry can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. The ministry that he's talking about there. What kind of ministry are you to fulfill? He says, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And this is a ministry. All things are of God who had reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and had given to us the ministry of what? The ministry of what? What ministry have you received? Somebody say, I have the ministry of reconciliation. Say it boldly and with passion, I have the ministry of reconciliation. I declare by faith, this month, I fulfill my ministry of reconciliation. Multitudes, follow me to serve my God. Last week is when we had the arches. Somebody say the arches. Last week was an awesome week. How many of you believe that it was an awesome week? And God is going to give us more of such awesome weeks. Praise God. All right. So we're we coming into what we began a couple of weeks ago. And that is doing the work. As for you, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 5. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Somebody say, I do the work of an evangelist. 
I fulfill my ministry. Alright, so we established the fact that we have a ministry. We've been given the task of evangelism. All of us are not called into the office of an evangelist, but all of us are called to do the work of an evangelist. Somebody say, I am called to do the work of an evangelist. Yeah, all of us are called by God. The Bible says, let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called. Some people always contemplate. I spend some time during the camp to help you understand that you are already called. You don't need a flash. If it's a flash you are waiting for, it's too late. It came a long time ago when God called you. When he saved you, he called you. And when he called you, he has a, ta he has a task in mind for you to do. What's the task? The task is to reconcile all those souls unto him. And that we call the task of evangelism. The ministry of reconciliation is the work of evangelism. Somebody say the work of evangelism. So we establish the fact that all of us are called to do the work of evangelism. I am called, you are called to do the work of evangelism. So we started exploring how we can do the work of evangelism. And number one, we said that if you are going to do the work of evangelism, we need to understand the mandate for evangelism. You have to first of all understand the mandate of evangelism. Somebody say the mandate. The mandate. Say it's a mandate. Evangelism is a mandate Jesus gave to the church. He said, uh, go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel. When he was leaving, that was his last command and his last command must be our number one pursuit. The fact that it was last does not mean that it must be last on our list of priorities. It was last, but it must be first on our priority list. Somebody say it was his last, but it must be our first. Yes. When the Holy Ghost came, that was the first thing he was supposed to come empower them to do. When Jesus left, he said, tarry until the Holy Ghost comes. And when the Holy Ghost comes... He will empower you not to build houses, not to buy cars, not to marry, but to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So when we do all of the other things, it's good. It's good to build your house. It's good to buy a car. It's good to marry and give birth to children. But if that's all you are living for, you have not started living like a Christian. A Christian lives with the goal of eternity in mind. He's eternity minded. He does not live his life just here on earth. So he gave us a mandate, and the mandate is to go reach out to the world with the gospel. That's the mandate. And we establish the fact that we need to appreciate this mandate and pursue it with all seriousness. Why? Because it's a command. When we pursue the mandate of evangelism, we are simply obeying the command of our commander-in-chief. Somebody say, when I pursue the business of evangelism, I'm simply obeying the command, the command of my commander-in-chief. Yeah, that's what the commander-in-chief gave us. He gave us marching orders. Go reach out. And that's what we are going to be doing practically in the next eight weeks. Saturday, we are here. And every other Saturday, we are going to go morning and evening. And then you also in this season have a task of establishing at least two. We said that we need to pursue the mandate of evangelism because of the condition of the harvest. Somebody said the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe already. And he says, he that reapeth, receiveth harvest. And then, of course, compassion. Somebody say, out of compassion. We must pursue the business of evangelism out of compassion for the lost. And we must pursue the business of evangelism because it is the consummation. Somebody say, the consummation. Christ is not coming until the gospel is heard globally. 
anywhere human beings are, they need to hear the gospel before Christ will return. Matthew 24, 14, it said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all nations for a witness. Then the end will come. And if the end must come, we need to go about this business with all seriousness. And then we said, there are three ways to effectively carry out the mandate of evangelism. Three ways. Somebody say three ways. Number one is that we must make it a priority. Somebody say, make it a priority. Yeah, don't make it your last item. It must be a priority. Make it a priority. The business of soul winning must be a priority for you. Thank you. Make it a priority. It must be your priority. It must be the priority of a church. No matter what the church is involved with, if you are not involved and addicted to the business of soul winning, we are losing relevance. The sole business of the church is to win souls. That is what no organization on the earth will do for us. UN, UN will not do that. African Union will not do that. No major international business company will do that. The business of soul winning is the sole business of a church. And we cannot be bogged down with other things. Philanthropy is good, but that saves no one. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The thing that saves people is the gospel of Christ. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. That is the power of God. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Somebody say the gospel is the power of God. So we have to make it a priority. Anywhere you find yourself, if you are in an office working, when people come in contact with you, let them come in contact with the gospel. You are in a lecture room. Your mate must be infected with the gospel. Praise God. The same way COVID was infecting people, we must become gospel, uh, uh, what do you call it? We, we, must be, uh, if, uh, what, we must infect people with the gospel. Praise God. We must carry the gospel, the various calls of the gospel, infecting people everywhere. I see you do that in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Number two, we said we must pursue it in the power of the Spirit. He shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And that's why we are, we are praying at all levels, at all levels in the church. Prayer is ongoing at all levels. And we'll be praying Sundays, Wednesdays, and all through the week because the business of soul winning cannot be carried out in the energy of the flesh. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. Number three, we said we need to do it after the New Testament pattern. Somebody say the New Testament pattern. The New Testament. Say the New Testament pattern. The New Testament. In the New Testament, the work of evangelism is not the work of a select few evangelism wink. There's nothing like that in the New Testament. Every Christian is an evangelist. Praise God. Every Christian. There's nothing like outreach group. All of us are outreach group. Every one of us. The one thing that all of us, we may not all sing, we may not all usher, but all of us are to go and be ministers of reconciliation. All of us. Everybody, no matter what else you do, you can preach, you can sing, you can... If you are not committed to this very cause, something is wrong somewhere. And tonight, we want to take... We looked at the mandate. Now, we want to look at the motivation. Somebody say the motivation. Say the motivation. Okay, so we are looking at the motivation for the work of evangelism. We've looked at the mandate, the motivation for the work of evangelism. What is going to motivate us to carry this all-important assignment? How are we going to carry this assignment out? We need to understand biblical motivations. 
most of us, we will do anything when the motivation is good. If your boss tells you, next month, I'm going to double your salary. If you're able to achieve this target for me, some of us, we can even skip church just to achieve that target and obtain that money. Am I communicating somebody at all? Yeah. Some of you can comfortably do that. Some of you, in your quest to achieve certain targets, achieve certain personal goals, you can go off church for one month. And it's all because you are pursuing a certain agenda. You want to achieve a certain uh, target. It's not bad. But if it has no eternal value, you better think again. So in this night service, we are looking at 10 biblical motivations to do the work of an evangelist. 10 biblical motivations. What should motivate us? What should motivate us? What should motivate us? And I'm limiting to 10. Not because it's only 10, there are more. But for the purposes of time, I'll touch on 10. And then in some future date, we'll look at some others. 10 biblical motivations to do the work of an evangelist. Number one is the universality of sin and its consequences. The universality of sin and its consequences. Sin is universal. That's why we must do the work of evangelism. We must preach the gospel to everyone and everywhere. Why? Because everybody on the planet is a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned. Somebody say all. all. Romans 3.23, for all. Somebody say for all. all. Say it aloud, for all. all. Shout it, for all. all. For all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. All. Vice Chancellor has sinned. The President has sinned. The banker has sinned. The lawyer has sinned. Everybody, regardless, the carpenter is a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. That's what we need to do. Sin is universal. And the antidote for sin, if it is a gospel, it must be universal. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ezekiel 18.4, he said, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. So for all have sinned. Somebody say, for all have sinned. Okay, so sin is universal. And the consequences of sin is also universal. For all have sinned and they falling short. And then he also says, the soul that sinneth shall die. The soul that sinned shall die. In the book of Romans 6.23, he says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. Sin is universal and the consequence is universal. Therefore, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death reigned through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Somebody say all sin. All sin. Say all sin. Right, so that's the first thing you need to appreciate that we need to be motivated because everybody is a sinner. All have sinned. And the consequence of sins is the same for all. Everybody who is not born again is entitled to eternal death without God. Number two is the inestimable value of a soul. Somebody say the inestimable value of a soul. The inestimable value of the soul. In other words, we cannot estimate the value there are many things you can estimate. You can estimate the value of your watch, the value of your shoe, the value of your suit, the value of your house. All of these things can be valued by men. But when it comes to the soul of a human being, it cannot be valued. The Bible says in the book of Matthew 20, 16, verse 26, he said, for what, 
will a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? In other words, the wealth of the whole universe cannot be compared to the wealth of one soul. Somebody say, my soul is valuable. So the value of a soul, all souls are valuable. Many years ago, when I was in first year in the university, I, I recited a poem, A Soul is a Soul. That I became popular in tech because of that poem, A Soul is a Soul and it's precious to God. My only poem I remember I've recited in my life. A soul is a soul. He may be Gary and being seller, but he's precious to God. He may be a taxi driver, but he's precious to God. A soul is a soul, and it's precious to God. You have to understand that. I have a pastor friend, Pastor Alex. That's it. He used to call me by that name. When he sees me, a soul is a soul. <laughs> Praise God. A soul is a soul, and it's precious to God. You have to understand that. Every soul is precious to God. Every soul. The value of a thing is always determined by the price paid for it. Are you with me here? The value of a thing is always determined. This microphone is almost $1,000. The other microphones is 500 CDs. The other microphones, uh, you can even get it for 1,000 CDs. This is almost $1,000. You need to get one, another one soon. Praise God. Yeah. The value of a thing is always determined by the price paid for it. That's why Jojo Armani's suit is different from, uh, what do you call it? One of the other ones. I don't know the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The value of a soul. How much was paid for man's salvation? The Bible says, knowing that you were not redeemed. First Peter chapter 1 verse 18 to 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold. Look at how the Bible compares it. Silver is corruptible. Gold is corruptible. But the soul is eternal. Not as corruptible things, but from your endless con listen. But you were bought, verse 19, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That's why every soul, every soul is redeemed. Somebody say, every soul is redeemed. Every soul is redeemed. Every soul is redeemed. They, if they are not saved, it's because they've not been told or they've not acknowledged it. But every soul is redeemed. There is no human being on earth whose price has not been paid. The redemption, the price for the salvation of all of humanity has been paid. And it was paid once. It will not be paid again. The Bible said, Jesus Christ, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Once. Eternal redemption. Redemption is not something that Jesus does every time. No. When the soul comes to faith in Christ, Jesus does not die again. He died once. And the effect of his death is still saving many. Am I communicating somebody here? The Bible says you are bought. First Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, For you are bought with the price. You are bought with the price. You can't cheap in yourself. Understand that you have value. And the value is because you are a precious soul unto God. And not only are you precious, every other person who is around you and is not saved, the same blood that saved you and redeemed you, that's the same blood that has been shed for everyone who is here to come to faith in Christ. Can somebody say an amen? amen. Number three is the brevity of life. The brevity of life. We need to be motivated to undertake the task of soul winning because a life is short. Somebody say life is short. Say life is short. Say it aloud. Life is short. Life is short. Life is short. No matter how long you want to live. 120 years is still short compared to eternity. Life is short. I tell people all the time, you are going to live long. 
But understand that your longest life is not on earth. Your longest life is lived outside here. Life is short. I like Benny's first song. So you see, my brothers, life is so short. It passes so quickly and soon it's gone. You just have one life to live on earth. So remember now your creator while you have breath. Life is short. Life is short. A couple of weeks ago, a brother I knew from the university, one, one guy whom God brought my way to help me when I was in the university at the time where I was going through a lot of financial crisis. He became a very good friend. God used him to, at some point in time, even pay my investment bill. And one of his roommates, very close, he was quite close to all of us. All of a sudden, they just, uh, I saw him on his DP. He sent me a message. He, he actually called me. He sent me a message that with emoji that he was very sad and down. And I saw that the, the brother had passed. That his other roommate, who was his mate at St. Peter's School, had passed. I think he was just about under 45 or something. He had passed. Passed. How did he pass? He just fell and died. In the house, just like that. He said, oh, that's how short life is. That's how short life is. That's how short life is. That's why you have to, anybody you meet now, you may not meet them again. That's why the most important thing must go to them. Somebody walks into your hospital room and goes away, and you think he may come back. He may not come back. The fact that you may not attend to the patient again does not mean that the patient is alive. I tell people all the time, every time you get to meet someone, it's an opportunity to, for you to minister Christ to them because you may not see them again. You may not see them again. Life is short. The Bible says, James 4, verse 13 to 14. This is a generation where we want to live long, so we want to twist scripture. But <laughs> scripture is still true. Life is short. Somebody say, life is short. Life is short. Come on, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. You make strategic plans, strategic planning for the next 10 years, strategic plan for the next 20 years, strategic plan. They are all great, but understand that life is also short. Be ready to meet him if he calls on you. And if you are born again, it's no fear, but it should be with excitement. But how else will you be excited? When you go and you are going empty-handed, empty-handed, I'm alive in your hand. Yeah. How will you appear? When you appear, when Paul said, you are my crown, you are my joy and my crown of rejoicing at the appearing of the Lord. When you have no crown to receive, what are you going for? All your crowns are on earth. Praise God. All your accomplishments are on earth. All your achievements, all your titles are on earth. How will you meet him? That's key. So life is short for the person we are meeting. Life is also short for us. You don't have forever to do the work of evangelism. So you can't be lazy about it. Praise God. You can't be, keep on postponing it. I'll do it. I'll make time. I'll make investment. You will not be here all the time to do that. It is now that you have the opportunity. The Bible said now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Is somebody hearing me at all? He says that you who make such plans. Tomorrow I'll do that. Tomorrow I'll do that. It's great. He said, yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? There's a series I will do on that. What is your life? Because we need to know what our life is. That will be for SL service. What is your life? What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Did you see that? What did the Bible say is your life? A mist. Somebody say a mist. It's a vapor. A vapor. A vapor. How long can a vapor be left? 
When the COVID came, they said it can suspend the atmosphere for so and so, so all manner of theories. But the Bible says your life is a vapor. In a split second, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. And when you go, there are other things at the other side. Can somebody say an amen? amen? That's why you need to remember your creator while you have breath, while you are young, and while you have energy. Number four. Number four is the certainty of death for all. Number three is the brevity of life. Number four is the certainty of death. Somebody say the certainty of death. Say the certainty of death. You have to understand that death is certain. Death is certain. There is one thing that is certain in life. When you understand the certainty of life, death, your, your approach towards life will be different. One thing that you are guaranteed is death. You will die. Somebody say, I will die. Die. You will die. All of us will die. Listen, the Bible calls it an appointment. In, in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, just as it's appointed. It's an appointment you can't miss. If you are going to fly, it's an appointment. You can be late for your flight and possibly pay for another one. But that is one. It's appointed to die once. Look at what it says. It's appointed to die, man to die once. And after that comes judgment. Death is certain. Somebody say death is certain. Yeah, it's certain. Very, very certain. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22, For us in Adam all die, also so in Christ all shall be made alive. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12. He said, and I saw the dead. Somebody say, I saw the dead. Okay, I saw the dead. I like this. I saw the dead great and small. The small dies. The great dies. The rich dies. The poor dies. Death is a universal appointment no man can miss. Everybody, you will come face to face with it. And if with Christ tarries, all of us are going to go. If he tarries, all of us are going to go. Believe for 100 years, believe for 20 years, believe for 1,000 years, it's still 1,000 years, it will come and pass. The certainty of death. Somebody say the certainty of death. Huh. It's a universal appointment and it's one time. The certainty of death must move us. Look at what the Bible says. I saw the dead, great and small, so all would die, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is a book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And that brings me to number five. The certainty of judgment after death for all. The certainty. When we say we are reaching out to souls, that's what is driving us. When we are making investment in sending the gospel on radio so people can be saved, and we so cease to make that a reality, that's what we are striving for because we know a day of judgment is coming. A day of judgment. It's appointed to man to die once, and that is not all. In the book of Hebrews 9.27, death is not final. Somebody say death is not final. Yeah, death is your exit into your next life. Death ushers you into the next phase. Death ushers you. Death is our exit into eternity. The Bible said to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die, we exit this mortal body so that we can put on immortality. Immortality either in heaven or immortality in hell. And it depends on what we choose to do with Christ Jesus. It is appointed to man to die once and then after comes. Somebody say something comes after death. You sure know that that is judgment. After death is judgment. I saw the dead great and small. And they stood before he who sat on the great throne. And all the books were open. He said the books 
And everyone whose name was not written in the book of life, they were judged. But thank God, we are not only, our judgment has already been passed. But what we do with other souls, we are going to account for it. The Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, 2 Timothy 4 1, I charge you in the presence of God. This is Apostle speaking to his son. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Somebody say the living and the dead. Say the living and the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Judgment is an appointment. If you die, you will meet him for judgment. If you don't die and Christ comes and we are raptured, those who are left behind, they will also face judgment. He said, that I saw who is judged the living and the dead. That's what it means. There are people who will be alive. Paul thought that he was going to be alive before Christ comes. And then he couldn't make it. Praise the Lord. It's almost like a thinking in every generation. As I'm talking about the certainty of death, there are some of us here, you are like, oh, pastor, I'll be alive till Christ comes. May it be so for you. It's interesting that almost all the time we want to exempt ourselves. Yeah. You know what, how I live my life? I live my life ready to meet him. Yeah, I'm not afraid to that. I've told you too many times. It's not one of the things I'm not afraid at all. Yeah, because for me, death is gain. I'm not living for myself, so death is gain. Praise the Lord. Yeah, and I have more years to make some gains. But all of us will go. All of us will go. You will go, I will go. And when we go, we have something to face, and that is judgment. Look at John 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Oh, I like this. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Hallelujah. When you accept Christ, you are passed from death to life. Your judgment is already, your judgment of condemnation is already concluded. So, for the believer, there's no judgment to hell when you die. No. It's a judgment of what you did with the privilege God gave you to be alive. When the thief on the cross, Jesus told him, you will be with me tonight in paradise, today with paradise. He went, but there were no works to follow him. But you who is alive, when you get born again and God does not rapture you the way the man on the cross went with Christ, you must understand that your works are going to be accounted for. Somebody say an amen. I like this. Number six is the impossibility of repentance after death. You have to understand this. That's why you need to be a soul winner aggressively. Do the work of evangelism because it's impossible for any man to repent after death. No matter who he is. No matter what a church doctrine they believe in, whether it's purgatory or pergamum, whatever it is, there's nothing like that. Once you die, that's it. It's appointed unto a man to die what? Once and after that, purgatory. Talk to me. After death, purgatory. After death, cleansing. After death, promotion. After death, judgment. There's nothing like purgatory. It exists in the books of some religious organizations. It's not bad. Jesus gave us a parable that gives us an account of what happens. In the book of Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 25, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, 
Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out. Look at that. He called what? He did what? Called out. He called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy. Father Abraham, have what? Have what? Mercy. You don't call for mercy in death. That's why no amount of prayer or incense can change the destination of a man who is dead. If you die in sin, you are eternally dead. Are you with me here? Yeah. There are some religious institutions that will do a lot of things to change your placement after eternity. It's not true. You have been deceived. Once you die in your sin, you are eternally dead. There can't be any, you, you, you don't change, you don't switch camps. You can read this account. Jesus gave it. You don't switch camps after death. If you are not in the camp of Christ before you die, when you die, the camp to which you belong is your eternal camp. Praise the Lord. He says, have mercy and send Lazarus to dip the insolence of it. To dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. I'm in anguish in this flame. I'm in anguish in this flame. Let me just move on because I don't have time. But Abraham said, Chad, remember that in your lifetime. Somebody say, remember your lifetime. Remember your lifetime. How we live in eternity is a function of how we live in time. Remember your lifetime. How are you living your lifetime? How are you living? For those of us who are born again, is we need to live our lives in such a way that when we die, works will follow us. Precious works will follow us. That's what, we are, that's what we are supposed to do with our lifetime. All of a sudden, the man became an evangelist and he wanted to evangelize and get people saved. It wasn't working. He says, remember in your lifetime, there's the impossibility of repentance after death. He wanted mercy. Listen, I like it when the Bible says in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22 to 23, he said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And then he says, they are new every morning. Somebody say new every morning. Uh -huh. So the mercies of God are new to the living, not to the dead. They are new every morning. When you are alive, you can testify of his mercies every morning. The dead does not have mercy. There's no mercy for the dead. Once you die in your sin, you've died in your sin. If it's your father and he died in his sin, he's died in his sin. If it's your mother, he died in his sin, he's died in his sin. If it's your uncle, whoever the person is, your boss, he's died. Listen, if there is any human being you so passionately love and you so much care about, there is one precious gift you don't want to deny them. It's the gift of Christ. It's the gift of Christ. Because that's what will make all the difference. If you are going to see them in eternity, have fellowship with them in eternity, it depends on whether or not they have, the, they have the, the stamp of Christ or the visa of Christ in their passport to eternity. Number seven, the longevity of eternity. Hear me, eternity is not three days. Eternity is not four weeks. Eternity is not a thousand years. Eternity is eternity. From everlasting to everlasting. That's what it should motivate us. When we think about the fact that somebody will eternally be lost. Somebody eternally lost. Eternally in flames. Eternally in anguish. When you think about that, it should motivate you to want to speak the gospel to someone. It should motivate you to put away 
your so-called uh, temperament in order to reach out with somebody and then speak the gospel of Christ to them. Look at what the Bible says, Matthew 25, verse 41. He says, then he will say unto those on the left hand, depart from me, ye you curse into everlasting fire. Somebody say everlasting. Say everlasting. The fire is everlasting. 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 You will not be in it for one week and then they will take you out. It's everlasting. You are in need for all of time. Imagine your, 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 your housemate. Imagine your, your, your shop attendant. Be in that fire eternally. That's the business we have. That's the work we have. Imagine your cousin. Imagine your uncle. Imagine somebody close to you. Imagine your classmates. Imagine some of your classmates. Eternally lost. That's what we are talking about here. He said, everlasting. And it's not prepared for human beings. It's prepared. Because it's everlasting, it was not prepared for human beings. But Satan is so wicked, he doesn't want to be there alone. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 43 to 44. He said, if your hand causes your you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life, maybe. Look at this. <laughs> Rather than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire that shall never be, shall never be, never be, never be quenched, burning hot, eternally hot. Never be quenched, never be quenched, never be quenched, never be quenched. Again, he says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's not quenched. It doesn't lower in temperature. Hot, blazing hot, blazing hot eternally. Listen, hell is real. Heaven is real. Christ is the answer. Human beings don't need to end in hell. We have the good news. We can't keep it to ourselves. Praise God. The reason why uh, it's a good news is because hell is real, heaven is real. But the good news is that because of the gift of Christ, man does not need to end in hell. Praise God. And you and I have a business to share this. We, you and I have a business to make sure that we communicate this across. We use all the resources we have to make sure that many hear this gospel and they are changed for good. Can somebody say an amen? Number eight, the agency and the nature of the Lord's return. We have to be motivated to do the work of evangelism because of the agency, the, the agency and the nature of the Lord's return. Jesus said, behold, I come what? Quickly. When he met the man, uh, John, I come quickly. And how many years have come and passed? Because of this, sometimes people are deceived and fooled by the devil. If you was coming, if you were sitting on a truck, you would have come a long time ago. You see, when Satan blinds you, you think like that. God does not think like that. The Bible says, for you know, <laughs> we will not have you to be ignorant. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 9. He said, Beloved, do not be ignorant of this one thing. For a thousand years is unto the Lord like a day. And a day is like unto the Lord a thousand years. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count him slackness. But not willing that any should perish, but all should come into repentance. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 and 9. That's what scripture says. That's why it looks like God is sitting on a truck. It's because of you. It's because of somebody who is not saved. It's because of a family member who must hear the gospel. It's because of a classmate who is yet to hear the gospel through you. That's why he's slack. That's why he looks like he's so slow. 
He said, I'm coming quickly and he's never arriving. He has consciously delayed his coming because of love. Are you with me here? That's the business. That's the business. So don't, don't be deceived. He said, the nature, the agency of the coming. I come quickly. And then, then he said, he also tells us, nobody, the nature of the coming is that nobody knows when he will come. He said he will come quickly, but nobody knows the definite time. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. He said, but the hour and the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even angels in heaven, not the son, but only the father. No one knows. We can't tell when he will come, but we know he will come. So if we can't tell when he will come, but we know he will come, we must be ready for him when he comes. Are you with me here? We must be ready for him when he comes. How else are we going to get ourselves ready? By making sure that people have heard the gospel. People around us have heard the gospel. He says in the book of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 to 3, he talks about, he said, now concerning the times and the seasons, I've written to you, I don't want you to be ignorant. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He will come like a thief. A thief in the night. That's how the coming is going to be. That's the nature. When you think about a thief invading, Imagine that you knew that a thief was coming to steal the precious items of a father, of your brother, of a sister, of a friend, of a close pa. Will you keep the information to yourself? Or you reach out and tell him, listen, at 11.59 tonight, I'm robbers are coming to your house. If you can't save anything, save your life. Is that not what you do? How come we are not sure when he is coming, but we know he's coming and we are not busy doing this business. How come we, are, we, we, we don't know when he's coming? And we are not busy making great investment in this. But rather, we do every other thing else except this one thing. I pray that a fresh passion for lost souls will come into your heart. I pray that your perspective will be changed. Your priorities will become kingdom priority. Can somebody shout a believe in amen? amen. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13, Verse 11 and 12, he said, And do this, knowing the time, and not that it is hard time to awake out of sleep. Somebody say, wake up. Wake up. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. wake up. He said, it's time to awake from your sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let's put on the armor of light. Number nine is the terror of the Lord. Somebody say, the terror of the Lord. Say the terror of the law. Now you must understand that God is a terrible God. We know him as a loving father. But a day is coming where his love will cease and his terror will be, will be released on humanity. God is not going to be all loving. There's a day coming, you will even see him as a man of love. All you will see is the terror of the law. And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11, the Bible tells us, he said, no wind therefore. Somebody say, no wind therefore. He said, knowing therefore, 2 Corinthians, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, knowing therefore, knowing therefore, knowing therefore, we need to know it. And one of the things we will learn about it is that we need to know it. The terror of the Lord. The Look at the uh, picture of it. So in the book of Jude 1, 22 and 25, look at what he says there. He said, and of some compassion making a distinction. Then look at this. 23, 23, but others save with what? Fear, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire 
a time is coming where people are like, oh, can God really burn people in hell? Well, he's done it before. Praise God. If you want to know who God is and what God can do, look at what he has done before. All of the things that were written at four time were written for our learning. He's done it before. Look at 2 Peter 2, verse 4 to 7. For if God did not spare, whoever is in the studio, are doing well. For if God did not spare angels, when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. That's one. That's heaven. That's where God manifested his terror. He didn't show mercy on the angels when they rebelled. Now he says, verse 5, and if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah, so on earth, he has done it before. A herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Look at verse number 3. And if by turning, that's another one, he shows you the terror of the Lord sequentially from heaven to earth. He said, and if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Don't sit down and deceive yourself. We shouldn't deceive ourselves and allow sinners to be deceived. God will burn people in hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? I said God will burn people in what? Hell eternally. He is terrible enough to be able to do that. Praise God. And when we think about the fact that people will perish eternally in hell, it should motivate us. It should not make us want to spend on ourselves. It should want to make us do everything we can do so others can come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen. amen. Finally, is the love of God. Somebody say the love of God. Of all motivations, this is the greatest. Of all motivations, this is the greatest. Do you know that the judgment of God is a manifestation of his love? Oh, I'll come to teach about it. When I start to teach on grace proper, you will understand how the judgment of God is the manifestation of the love of God. When God judges people, he's manifesting his love. It's the justice of God. The love of God. The love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him. That's why it was out of love Christ died. It was out of love Christ was betrayed. It was out of love Christ went to the cross and died a vicarious death. It was out of love. That was love. For God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And everyone who is yet to be saved, Christ has already died. Praise God. So the love of God has already been demonstrated to the sinner. He's not awaiting. That's why we keep on saying that God does not love you more than he loves the sinner. The same price was paid for the sinner. We need to go tell them. Somebody say, go tell them. Yeah. We must be controlled. The love of God must be our greatest motivation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, as I close. For, for the love of God controls us. Somebody say, controls us. What controls you? What controls you? The love of God controls us. It constrains us. When we meet people, we are controlled by the love of God. We are driven by the love of God. When we share it with them, because we know we have tasted and we have felt the love of God. When you have experienced something and it's good, you go marketing it. When the woman of Samaria met Jesus at the well, she went and said, come see a man who demonstrated love to me like none other. I've met men, but none has loved me like the way this man loved me. She went and marketed Christ. And the Bible said the whole of Samaria came to Christ. What are you doing? You have experienced the love of God. How are you helping others to experience it? That's what we are talking about in these eight weeks. 
That's what we are talking about. We are not talking about getting a visa to travel. We are talking about giving people visas for eternal life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what we are talking about. That's what we are talking about here. And I pray that in this season, a fresh hunger for lost souls will come. Stand on your feet and ask for grace to live like a Christian. Ask for grace that Lord, in this season, make me a soul winner. If you want to accept Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, you want to say this prayer after me. Mean every word and then believe it in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart that you died and rose again for me. By my belief, I am justified. And by my confession, I am saved. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. If you pray that prayer in faith, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God bless you. We look forward to having you join us again and again. You are blessed. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santasa Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. Oh, no, no, no.